big reason why um, I wanted to have you on the podcast and talk with you, Andra, is on a practical level, I love the mission and the work that you're doing at the Kindness Campaign. But I also um, believe that you've gained so much through your experience of life and then running yeah. this. I was super impressed, a few th things you were talking to a few moments ago, with your arc of how you're thinking about um, initially kind of proving out your model, so to speak, and then you, how you also scale mm -hmm. that model. Right. And I think that that is really, um, candidly, a unique thing. Um, in my experience, you either have organizations, obviously, always started because there's a mission or a passion of the founder or founders, and there's a problem in their community or nationwide or globally that they want to help solve. I mean, that's a lot of the kind of the ethos and the passion of people that are behind nonprofits. Um, but a lot of times they're focused on just a small subset in their local community mm -hmm. um, or lack the wherewithal to actually be able to really scale. So that's a little bit of a preface. Do you mind for anyone listening along, just talk about listening, watching, um, what is the Kindness Campaign and why were you inspired and motivated to create it? Yes, yeah, so I guess we'll start, I think that the, the, the best way to start is from the very beginning. Just as you, I knew absolutely nothing about the nonprofit space except that I would go to events here in Austin and I would uh, support uh, my local community and, and, and um, that was about the extent of my knowledge of, you know, helping out or volunteering and those kinds of things. So um, when this became a nonprofit, it was not because I set out to do it. It was because it was out of necessity. So um, I will preface with that and then I'll tell you why. Um, early on, um, I guess about, it's now been about six years ago, a dear friend of mine's daughter, she, um, she committed suicide and she was around 12. She was young and um, this was a family friend. And, you know, I'm, I'm a mom too. We were talking about my children earlier and they're 11 and they're now 11 and 13. At the time they were very young too. And so um, as a mom mm -hmm. uh, and many moms out there can probably relate to this, you, you know, you search for why why would someone do this? At the time, as a mom, I actually was thinking, I, I hadn't experienced, I knew children, uh, and I, maybe I was being naive, I knew children died, I knew that things like that happened, never happened that close to me, mm -hmm. and I never really thought children took their own life. That had, that had never occurred to me that close, and especially, not that close to my family. This was someone who spent a lot of time with me in my house, um, so much so that you know I, you know, shared my clothes with her, my shoes, things like that. And sorry, no, take your time. Snap. I, um, take your time. So um, it it uh, it brought me to my knees when I had my own girls, and just I I was trying to understand the devastation in that moment and the story is way deeper and way longer but just so you understand that moment in my life of of the why sorry of the why of why would this happen and um and why a child that was seemingly so happy would do that and so um i uh over time 
my oldest daughter uh, started having some things going on in her own life and she would come to me and say nobody gets me and uh, you know I would say well I, I get you honey and and God put me on this earth to um, protect you and and to know you more than anyone on this in this world and I'm here with you and I was struggling you and got some tissue. <laughs> thank you and um, and I really I, appreciate you opening up by the way thank you I really have to say also that we've um, you know or like I don't know maybe we've done we've published so far I think 20 or 21 episodes and we've probably have another 15 or so pre-recorded um, I never had someone on as a guest that is so passionate about what they're doing and that's not to take away from any of you know that but it's really real so and I appreciate you. you sharing that and even as you talk about this this issue of um, it's bigger than this but specifically you know um, child and teenage suicide I feel that you know I'm excited not excited is the wrong word but it's good for me to get educated you yeah. know through interviews like this and getting to meet, meet, meet leaders in the nonprofit space and different missions because it appears to me that I see it more and more in the media like it's yeah. something that's it's, happening a lot and it's crazy because growing up I can't think of a single I grew up in Baltimore I went to a, um, I was fortunate enough to go to like a a prep school and there's you know it's a there's probably 12 there's a lot of other prep schools it's a close knit community in a sense I can't think of a single student in our school or in any of the schools I grew up with. Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of it. No. I mean, I, growing up, I, there was kids that got bullied, and I just, you know, you. Mm -hmm. But it, it was, you know, I was bullied. I mean, I but was you too. just, but you just yeah. didn't. I, nobody hurt themselves, and I never, never had thought of this at all. And so, what's happening with our kiddos? Like, what can you? So, Give a sense. I mean, I know this 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 all, you, this awful experience happened that really hit close to home. Yeah. So, and can you talk? What what yeah. I learned, what I learned after this, and developing um, the first journal, so to connect with my own children, was that suicide is the second leading cause of death for teens, and it's not it's not moving. And there's several factors that are affecting that. There, that has been the statistic for a while now. Mm. And what has happened is people were drawn, were, had attention towards it. Social emotional learning was coming into schools. They were saying, let's help with this. But the things that are kind of breaking down um, the, what's happening with, with that statistic is that social media is coming into play. Um, you know, children are, um, being, you know, there's more ways to get to you than just at school. So the walls, there are mm. no more walls for children to be, feel safe. And so we are having to get more creative with how to provide children with those sense of value, worthy, um, all the things that make up your self-image we're having to get really, really strong, creative ways to reach in and talk to children about who they are and the fundamental values so that they can feel confident when whatever wall has been broken down, that they, when they see themselves, when they look in the mirror, when they look on social media, when they're in a classroom, wherever they are, that they feel confident that they are worthy to be here and to be alive.
And to me, that is my goal. And that is the main reason, sorry, that is the main reason I do what I do every day is that um, I wake up and I say, what tool can I create today? What can my team do to navigate the beast that is around us that we are fighting for our children to feel that, to feel that they are enough every day when the world is coming at them and saying, you're not pretty enough, you aren't athletic enough, you, um, you know, go kill yourself. Children see that on social media today, go kill yourself. And I don't know what that feels like. I did not grow up like that, but I will guarantee you we need to be pouring into our children tools and giving them access to more. And the kindness campaign is building. We have an army of tools of people that want to help to give them resources that not only give them things that help them feel empowered to feel those values, to feel that they are enough, but to give them tools to feel empathy towards one another, emotional awareness for what's happening when someone feels low so they can reach out and to build communities for one another that is so different than what's happening. I wish I had this when I was a kid. Sorry, I'm like losing it. But I feel so passionate about this to prevent what's happening so that when... Yeah. Well, and even it's... I'm, I'm sitting here thinking... I always... And I kind of will joke about it, especially as it relates to business. Like, why didn't they teach me this in school? Like something like right. finance related, like kind of a tangible, practical business right. skill set or something. These are the types of things... Why didn't they teach me this in school either? Right. And part of what, just relating directly to you, is I realize now when I reflect back at 33 and I've, I've done different, um, I don't know, coaching courses, things like that, that have helped me look back into my past. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to basically release myself from a lot of emotional pain of things that happened to me as a child that even though I'm 33 and an adult, an adult now and I've matured in a lot of areas, there are parts of me that I'm still like a four-year-old. In other words, something yeah. someone said something to me when I was, and I held on to that. And my only frame of reference was like how a four-year-old would act when someone says something to that, of like, you know, someone yells at you or something, just whatever, you have right. some sort of traumatic thing. And the things that you're touching on of what you are focused on solving and, and, and what you're doing mm -hmm. with the kindness campaign are the types of things that I wish I had learned and had been there before. And it's awesome that you're doing it and stepping up. And I know there's a lot of other um, great work being done with respect to, you know, social emotional learning and other aspects of that. And even as we talked about something as traumatic, obviously as like an ultimate thing as a suicide, right. the reality is it doesn't have to be that extreme for it to really be debilitating to someone. And then something yeah. happens to them as a kid and they just carry that through literally the rest of their life. Well, and what we know is, and you're talking about like, even thinking back to four years old, what we know is that one in four kids will come in the school system. And I, I will say there are certain districts here that would say, well, not our district. Mm -hmm. 
all districts, every child, and we don't know what's happening behind the closed door in every home. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. One in four children come into the school system having experienced some form of trauma, trauma by the age of three, some form. And so what we are trying to do and what we do have are tools for teachers in the classroom starting at age three that provide a conversation, a language to help with students who are experiencing that, to give them that language, what's happening at four years old. Stephen, what's going on with you? Well, and we have this character we created called a Nuffy Buddy, and you go on these journeys with him. And the thing we like to say is that everyone should be able to say, uh, you know, what emotion, identify it, and be able to start early on identifying your emotions and being able to talk about it and being able to creatively um, and, and, and be able to have that dialogue openly. The, the thing that we do is, as a society, is we say, well, that's the bully and that's the victim. But I, I would say, and I'm, I'm not gonna call you out, but we can all flip into those roles depending on what's going on in our life. At some point Absolutely. or another, I might have been a bully. I, pro I, I will say I have been a bully, not because I wanted to be, but I, I was. And so because we're all susceptible to it, the, the well, grace- you know, the, the irony is that you're that much more likely to do it. Like what- Right. You know, it's part of what we were talking before, like g g someone has something and they give it to you, Right. They can give you negative things too. Like you can so So yeah. it's it's about learning and 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 treating each other and and understanding language around what's happening. We shouldn't treat the bully or the bullied any different. It's learning language around support around uh that language for one another mm -hmm. and the empathy and the emotional awareness towards one another. If if you have a scenario with a child and the bully is doing something to, you know, a whoever, Jeff or, you know, Susie or whoever's in the room, one of the bully might be having something going on at home that they're acting out with. Being bullied at home, being bullied on, just using that example as an expression to try something. It's so, what it all, I feel like to be candid, it's that's what it always is and i right. even see that now i mean as adults like in in the, the real world, world whatever it's yes. like sometimes people are just extremely unreasonable and yes. you know it's actually very rare that it happens part of it's mm -hmm. i won't, wouldn't tolerate that but i just say to myself it's because of something like yeah. they're lashing out because it's it's something else it's not anything that i've done so how do we change that behavior? Mm -hmm. And the so first talk way to, to yeah, on a practical level, on the practical the level you guys is are doing with right. So on the practical level is we start addressing, mm -hmm. we dress everyone the same. How do we have empathy for this person? And how do we go in and look at addressing whatever that scenario is and talking with that person and really trying to figure out, are you okay? How can we help with what's going on? Uh, I'll keep with the school theme. Like if sure. you're hitting or if you're biting or if you are calling names, let's talk through that behavior. Is that appropriate? And then actually kind of peel back to, do you think that that makes so-and-so mm -hmm. feel good? And you kind of bring that back and then really dig into 
how can we help you? And when you show love, when you show compassion and you start looking through with the bully, um, and I don't like to call the bully a bully because I feel like they're, they're human. They're actually just having a human response to their emotions, but tapping into, can you identify your emotion? What are you feeling? You feeling angry right now? That's actually normal. So how can we better use that emotion? Can we um, do something more productive with that emotion? Because I think when we normalize emotions and we realize that that is um, something you're going to experience, what, what, do we, what do we want with that emotion? Is it to lash out at someone or is it to say, when I feel that, I need to have a five minute break. I need to go in timeout. I need to have a, I need to have a mindfulness break. I need to breathe, give them techniques for when they feel that. But if they don't know what it is and they can't get there, they don't have a way except what they know. I know when I feel this, I hit someone. I know when I feel this, I lash out and I yell or whatever it is. So I think it's about identifying your emotion, helping with technique, but really caring for them. And this takes time. And it also takes awareness in the room for everyone. But when you start giving everyone that technique, it allows for peace moving forward. And, um, and it's about the journey. So if, if you're constantly doing it in, in a classroom setting or in a work environment, if you're constantly talking about it, teaching it, it becomes better. So um, in a work environment example, I know um, I've had moments with, let's just say, uh, working with partnerships where someone's unhappy, addressing the situation, like relating to someone, I understand. I understand that you're unhappy, um, you know, and, and identifying the the emotion, right? Or um, I, I hear that there's anxiety around what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't feel confident. How can we how can we work through that together? When you get on someone's page about what they feel, that's the first step. And 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 or if that's they're like you don't you're not hearing me at all. You're not tapped into my emotion at all. Great, what is it? And I think when we look at the, the boardroom, the corporate setting, and it's like, it's emotionless. You shouldn't be talking about emotions. That's, that's where we start messing up. Our because feelings, yeah. because it's, it's like, that's the first thing people will say when they walk away from a partnership is, there's usually money and high stakes, yes, but it's also like they didn't get what we were about. They didn't know our business. They weren't paying attention and they, um, they didn't have our values, our mission. Well, that's saying they weren't listening and that's saying that they weren't uh, being observers of their emotions. Emotions come in a lot of different ways. I love it. <laughs> so I love it. No, um, I'm taking a lot of, even just away from you and what, what you're uh, talking about because I think that this um, it transcends like our entire from you know being a small child all the way through old age um, and it's natural human mystic elements of just like who we are at our core and if we don't have education and training around it we're kind of left to our own devices and you know and it can be really challenging 
especially like early on with the kids, you could just carry that through the rest of your life. I'm curious, like just for the audience, like I, mm-hmm. I love the core of what you're sharing, what you're doing. I was really impressed because um, you shared with me some of the statistics of your current impact, specific to what, what you've done to date, and then yeah. obviously where you want to go. For people that aren't yet familiar with the kindness campaign, mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about what you've been able to accomplish so far? Yes, yeah, so we started with one school. We grew within that first year to five. And then we, within the next two years, we were in over 80 schools serving over 40,000 students. And we continue that, we're in year four now. And we have over 150 nationwide requests. And this is something you and I were talking about. We even have global requests for our, for our program. And I think the hardest thing for an entrepreneur or for a nonprofit is scalability and not leaping into uh, other pools too fast. And, <laughs> and so for us, we, we had to scale our, not only our- I'm learning so much through <laughs> you, thank you. Because that's, that's the hardest thing when you have um, a mission and you have such excitement about um, like what you've, so to speak, proven out and the results you've seen, you naturally like wanna jump and scale. Yes. And I have to like just, oh my gosh, everyone like to shout out to like Abby and Alexandra and Grant that, <laughs> that, that you know, work, work with us on a daily basis at Charity Charge. They're constantly like pulling, me, they're like, we can't do that. It's exciting. We can't do that. Yeah. And so I, t- talk to us about that. Mm. It's amazing. Like the impact that you've had in mm-hmm. a short period of time. Um, how are you thinking about scaling? Like what, are, what's kind of the thought processes yeah. to keep, to keep growing, but doing it in a sustainable quality way. Right. And I, and I think we use the coffee shop example, um, you know, get one coffee shop working and make sure it's successful and make sure you're blowing the numbers out and you make sure it's, it's, you know, sustainable. And then you can open another coffee shop. I always, you know, before you grow. And one of the things we've been very, very mindful is making sure that Austin is successful. And so we have made sure that we're in all AISD and we've made sure that's kind of where, where our hub is and where we want to make sure they're very happy. And what we did initially was we scaled, we had one product, we had our initial journal and we scaled to full product. We went um, from pre-K three all the way through fifth grade. And just recently we launched a, a um, initiative and partnership with Erin Condren, who has a nationwide, she's nationwide, she's mm. a journal company, paper goods company. And now we have our first uh, collaboration partnership and we have our teen adult journal that's now nationwide in her, all of her stores. So that is our first collaboration that uh, took us and made us have a full offering all the way up to, to our adult um, journals. With that offering, we are able to go into and start selling into other districts. And we are now taking on other districts around Austin. and starting that process and our processes it look we will be going into district to district i just had a meeting uh we'll be looking at i won't be talking about the meetings i think that's uh, probably not great right now but i did have some very big meetings uh one yesterday um in austin and so we're we're kind of going district to district we also will be looking at 
going back through the 150, looking at how what the ask was mm-hmm. and, and asking if they're interested in purchasing. So that is the goal. And um, But I it's think- really, I want to just also share, like, because I always think the business models of nonprofits um, are changing and there's right. a lot of focus on um, earned revenue versus yes. like just traditional kind of passive fundraising from obviously generous supporters. So w- w- talk us through your model, because I know, you, you know yeah. you're, you're about to have um, your gala coming yes. up. And so you do, you do do, call it what you want, but like traditional fundraising things that nonprofits do so people that want to support your mission can. Yes. What other elements? I mean, is there uh, yes. to, to earn revenue or other things that you're doing? So, and our gala is a non-gala gala, because I... <laughs> <laughs> that I love. Okay. Cool. So we do it very. Uh, we do a house party, and uh, oh, nice. we keep we keep the auction of four or five yeah. four or five items, and yeah. we just max it out. Uh, yeah. So we try everything we do. We try to do just slightly a little bit different, and because I I like to be a little bit more innovative, creative in the way that we do it. You sure? Um, <laughs> and and so we have like a two hundred fifty person party. And I, I like to think of it as uh, date night and everybody who comes, I want them to walk away feeling very loved and it's their time. And so if you come to our gala non gala that you felt like you, um, you experienced what we, what we do mm-hmm. versus coming and, you know, we definitely raise money, but we do it a little bit differently and we always want it to be an experience versus something you felt like you had to give away your time. I want it to be something where people feel loved. So that's the way I try to, and hopefully we, we had a very successful that. one last year. I think that's year. a lesson for a lot of organizations, right? To figure out yeah. ways to... It's, you know, it's hard. Innovative yeah. is like a buzzword, but what I like is like this immersive, like get people when they're showing up to feel a part of what you're doing and it kind of immersed and integrated into it. And right. So. And you know, I think we spend a lot of time at nonprofits. The challenges is, is you need to raise the money. And then the, the challenges is, is that, you know, you have to do a gala and then people feel they have to go because they love the cause and it's this whole thing. And so how do you make it fun and how do you make it, how do you innovate around that? And for me, um, that is, that's the challenge. And so this house party concert was an idea and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm doing a couple other events throughout the year that are, uh, more geared towards fundraising in a different way with kids acting. They're doing a fundraiser where it's already in place. They raise about 50 grand and the kids chose us as a charity of choice. So that's really fun. And then, um, so I, I would say we do half and half sustainable funding and then mm-hmm. we do our non-gala gala kind of style things. And is there a, is there, maybe I'm confused, is there an earned revenue component of the schools? Like when you talk about- Selling? S- yeah, yes, selling there, how does that yes. work? So that's, where we're, that's what we're moving into. Yes. This is our first year yes. to move into that. And so we actually go in and we sell to the districts uh, our product. And so that's, this is where we're moving. And that's what I'm very excited about. There's also a component that's our interactive programming. We're doing one coming up at a school, a local school here where we come on site and we do SEL nights where we bring our magic mirror. We bring our, um, we do, enough everybody has antennas. And so we bring and we make antenna, um, antennas for them, for the children. We talk about ways that parents can talk to their children about their emotions. So it's very full, um, full scale. We also will be hired to do programs, kind five programs that are four hours long, where we can come and we actually do the full day 
on site. We do that with high schools. We do it with corporations. We're doing World Kindness Day with Kendra Scott wow. coming up. And so, you know, there's lots of ways that we come and we are able to do a full program for people. So it's programming and it's also, um, it's also selling and all of this is, is, is at purchase. So that is, we have programming and, and curriculum and that's, that is how we're scaling. And I think that that's such a innovative thing. I mean, there are certain nonprofits that have adopted or started to figure out this earned revenue model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for anyone listening along that's considering potentially starting a nonprofit, I think they can learn a lot from you in the sense of you are doing things that are, um, call it what you want, tried and true, obviously with your own like spin on it, like right. a non-gala gala, the house party <laughs> aspect, you know, other kind of traditional fundraising campaigns. But what a lot of nonprofits are doing now are figuring out a way, like if they've created um, a value add product or service, mm-hmm. finding a customer for that. Right. Um, which really then allow, I mean, I want, this is about you, you know, I'm curious your experience, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is it's effectively allowing you to scale faster because you obviously need as a nonprofit revenues to grow your mission and serve other school districts and children, et cetera. So it seems to me that it's almost like for every sale that you get of a school district, that's bringing in more revenue and it allows you to just go to your mission as opposed to just saying, we don't want to sell anything. We're just going to focus on raising dollars from out here and serving schools. It just seems like you're scaling much faster. Right. Because of that model. And and to that point, what we like to do with the schools is is present the offerings and some of them and, and, and we can be a full offering to them. We can have the curriculum, we can come on site. A lot of them do these random acts of kindness days and things. We can come and be that for them. We have Google Hangout chats with our director of curriculum. So the way we set ourselves apart is we've worked really hard to make sure that we are the only curriculum that meets all the ASCA standards that the language arts teaks, which is hot and happening this year in, mm. um, in, in the school world. So we set ourselves apart in the product world, but then we also say, Hey, we're available for you. So when we go in for in the nonprofit world, we make sure our product, not just as a product, but it's something that actually is needed, right? That, that the schools are saying, this is what we need. It's back to that listening thing about wanting like hearing the emotions from your from your uh, partners and this is what we've been hearing from all of our teachers and from all of our schools is that they need this and so we just develop and innovate my curriculum has been recreated four or five times just to make sure it's right for our teachers we do surveys we make sure that this is exactly what they need it's student centered not te- not you know adult focused it's it's for the students the students love it they love doing it it looks like them it's bilingual it's got an enoughy buddy who was adopted so kids feel like they can go on a journey with him whoever they are it's um it's created and and packaged up so that if it's not right we will we will innovate with it because every year we can and that's the beauty of our product and that's that's again back to just wanting to be meet our partners where they are bring in partners i bring in kind bars i bring in when someone comes to me they're like we want this we worked with bumble we want something like this or we work with austin woman magazine great we can plug that in so it is so much about making sure you have the right partners and you want that partner 
and they want to be your partner and then listening and and that's the way i do donors too i talk to my friends i talk to people and i say if this isn't something you want to be a part of it's okay because there are a million billion different foundations in organizations that need you. If you don't feel drawn to my mission, it is okay. I would rather you go give your time or your energy or your money to something that you feel strongly about. For me, it's about having those people who really care about my mission and about TKC and about the hearts and the minds of the students and saving lives and those children because those are the people who move the needle. Those are the people who really are passionate like I am about it. And, and my team, my team, they work tirelessly. My executive director worked for free for a while because I couldn't afford to pay her. She's amazing. I have my, everyone on my team cares so wholeheartedly about what we do because they're in it. So partnerships should be the same. If you're a nonprofit mm -hmm. that's out there that is just taking money to take money to make the next thing, it's going to be hard to, to stay alive. And it's harder, I know, to not take money from people that aren't drawn to your mission, but find the people that really care about what you care about and, and go deep with that relationship and find out how you can help them. And that, and listen, and that is where your organization thrives. It may take you a little longer, but that is where true happiness, true passion, and innovation happens. My mind is blown right now. <laughs> Sincerely, I can't, I'm gonna listen back to this just tonight even, <laughs> to like take down everything because the things that you just touched on are, I was like, I'm like trying to process like four or five like amazing <laughs> lessons. Aww. And I think like the, the big picture too for like, you gave such practical advice there. Um, what I see as like the whole like halo above all of that is hopefully for, you know, people watching, listening, et cetera, are inspired by you to be the founder of whatever it is that they want to create. And not everyone's a founder wants to do it, but people that, that have a drive to create something is the passion that you have around it is so, is so real. And when it is your like baby, when you are the creator of it, it's natural that you have it. I was on the phone yesterday with one of our clients and we're talking, we're talking about like just the practical getting their account set up and this and that or whatever. And the woman goes, uh, so shout out to Sheila at the Associated. <laughs> she goes, I just need to tell you, it really seems like you take a lot of pride in what you do. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the founder. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I answered it nice. It wasn't like, like flippant. I'm like, yeah, like I'm the founder of this. Yes, yeah. I do. Like, exactly. thank you. It was like, I was like appreciated, acknowledged, but it was almost like, she, I don't think yeah. had ever, I mean, she, you know, she works in the, um, you know, basically accounting department. I'm sure she's used to just dealing with like kind of vendor after vendor and, right. you know, some, you know, it's probably rare that she's talking to like the founder of it and, but it was just, but that's what comes out and I see it in you, mm. you know that. But I think also um, something super practical that I had put out a brief video yesterday about this, which I want to uh, point out to anyone like, Part of what I pulled out of what you said about the listening aspect, but also tied to the earned revenue, like a light bulb went off in my mind that that's kind of why I'm doing these to listen, to learn, is that 
theoretically, it would be easy for you to, I say easy, to go to schools and say, hey, we do this program. It's free. Take it. Use it. It's really hard for anyone to value something that's free. And mm-hmm. so by you making this part of your earned revenue model, yes, you get revenue. Yes, you can grow your impact, but you get validation from, the, in this case, the school district of, right. is it something that they really value and want? Yeah. Is it, and then you can listen if they decide not to buy or say, you can then tweak it or update it or you know whatever needs to do. And that's always like the beauty of the entrepreneur and part of what I'm actually realizing through this, like, the real value of an earned revenue model. I think so much so people just think about it on the top line of, hey, this is a way for our organization to generate revenue. But the reality is the, it, that's really the byproduct. You're proving to the market that someone's valuing the work that your organization's right. doing. That is so true. And so I have a partnership with AMC Movie Theaters. And we- oh, shout I, out. We grew up- <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm literally bringing this up for a real reason, but yes. uh, but uh, I was talking with Rob, who is, um, he's the uh, VP of Government Affairs, so he was in yesterday, and we actually ended up doing a huge partnership. We did a PSA that went nationwide for back to school together. We spent a lot of time together making that happen, by the way, because we had to do something that looked fabulous on a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever had to do that, let me tell you. (laughs) Check this out. Um, Let me tell you. Thanks, George. (laughs) It was, was, you know, anyways, it was one of my favorite things I've ever done Mm -hmm. and so hard. And I wore, I can't tell you how many hats I wore for that exact thing, but I know what it's like to be a producer now. Um, So I met with him yesterday and we're continuing our relationship. He's so incredible. He really, he really believes in the kindness campaign. And he was telling me exactly what you just said. He said that he served and, and he, he does so much for an AMC, by the way, I didn't know this until I started working with him. They do so much philanthropy. And I really, I've really, now that I'm growing to understand the organization more and more, they do so much to support so many people. But he was talking about one organization that he did on, on the side was about um, trying to help. It was an organization that put uh, braces on children mm-hmm. and they were just giving it away. And the doctors were, you know, trying to help them and, that's a two-year process if you've ever worn mm, braces. I had them. Oh, yes, me I too. I was 13 months, yeah, it was, but yeah. Yeah, it was, it's them. a long process, right? And the children weren't taking care of them, not showing up to their appointments, but they developed a new model to help these children where there was a little upfront cost for the parents, $600 in, and then they all, when they, when they invested and they were proud about it, they gave, it was more like a, kind of like a, a scholarship for braces. They, they invested the 600, the rest was taken on by the doctors. They showed up to every appointment. They um, took care of the braces. Everything was a little bit different. And it's so true with everything. You've gotta have buy-in. You've gotta have a little bit of accountability. Otherwise, for me personally, it stays in a box. Teachers don't use it. They don't care. They don't do surveys. They don't, they don't engage. They don't use the product. And so for our curriculum, that is what we, that's the model we're moving to. And it's very important and it's really hard working in the school system. So shout out to anyone who like is, is 
a, a teacher, a principal in the school system, superintendents, all those people, it's hard in the school system. And if you're a nonprofit or you're working to provide stuff, it's just a hard, it's really hard out there. And my mom's a school teacher, so, or a former, and I just, I understand it's really hard. And I think navigating those waters and those streams and the red tape, it's, it's, it's definitely been a journey. I wouldn't say, um, you know, I would have ever dreamt my life to be this. It's been a lot of work, but I am very proud. And I would say, just as you, um, I, I'm very grateful that I get to do this work. And, and I think that, that when we get emails, when we get children, when I see the faces, when I'm on campus, and when I get to personally uh, talk to children about what's going on, it's the most rewarding thing I ever do. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm really glad we met and, and got to do this. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, for people that are listening along, how can they find you? How can they initially get involved or get more information? So the easiest way is just to go to our website, thekindnesscampaign.com. It's the same thing. It's TKC um, everywhere, The Kindness Campaign, on uh, all of our social media handles. So you can find us on any of those. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I really thank appreciate you. you being on the the podcast and you know this really was a special episode so thank you to everyone who continues to follow along listen <laughs> along whatever you do um, we really appreciate your support at charity charge <laughs>